Well, Easter is that. It is a day of celebration of grace. It is a day celebrating love and celebrating forgiveness and celebrating new life. And who doesn't want more of that? It's also a reminder when, when death seems like it's one, when the darkness seems the darkest, light can still pierce in and bring hope and new beginnings. I don't know if you're a morning person or not, but maybe you've been down to Florida. If you're a morning person, you check to see when the sunrise is coming and you turn to your spouse or kids and say, okay, come on, come on, come on, let's watch. Or maybe you're like me. You only do that when you're out west and 6 a.m. feels like 9 a.m. And you say, honey, honey, come here, come here, come here, come here. And you're like, ready, three, coming up over the mountains, two, one, here comes the sun. And suddenly the sun pierces through the darkness, a reminder of a new beginning, a new day. Well, there was a day in history that felt exactly like that, but it wasn't just a metaphor. And it wasn't just here comes the sun, it was here comes the son of God who predicted he would defeat death three days after his death. And the evidence of this day in history is all over the place. We have multiple historic accounts showing that these disciples of Jesus were cowards. They were terrified. They were fearful. Until that day in history, they became bold proclaimers of the truth. They began to say, not we believe this because we believe it. We saw it. Our friend, Jesus, came back from the grave And we talked to him, we held him, we interacted with him, and they died for it. Or how about Jesus' brother? Did you know Jesus had a brother? His name's James. Did you know he thought his brother was crazy? Jesus talking about being the Messiah and being God all the time. Crazy brother. Until Jesus rose from the grave. James becomes an advocate and leader in the early church saying, listen, I didn't believe it either. Until that day he rose from the grave, he becomes an advocate. My brother is God in the flesh. Now, what would it take for your brother or your sister to think you were God? A miracle, right? An actual miracle. Something substantive. Did you know for 1,600 years, Jews living in Jerusalem celebrated their day of worship on Saturday, the last day of the week? But sometime around 33 AD, a group of thousands of Jewish people came to believe Jesus was the Messiah and they started worshiping not on Saturday, but on Sunday, what they called Resurrection Day. How do you get thousands of people to change 1,600 years of tradition except for an actual evidence in history? Now, all of us love the idea of Sunday, but there's a road to get there and it's a countdown. From Friday to Saturday to Sunday. So let's start on Friday. See, we call it Good Friday. But if you had been there, it didn't feel particularly good. Why is that? Well, Good Friday was known as Good Friday. And Jesus had called three years earlier a man named Peter. And Peter's not some fictitious character like Dora the Explorer or Luke Skywalker. He's an actual historic character who lived and fished right here on the Sea of Galilee. Archaeologists have dug down and they have found what they believe to be, with quite a bit of certainty, the actual home of the Apostle Peter. He was a very, very successful fisherman. There's a church that's built right on top of it. It looks like an octagon there. But this is Peter's home. And it was massive, right on the Sea of Galilee. Business is going well. He's married. Marriage is going well. His house is so large. Jesus and 12 disciples can stay there. 
He is on the fast track. This new king, bringing a new kingdom, is going to take over, he believes, the Greeks and Romans, and he's the right-hand man of the king of kings. How could this guy be having a bad Friday? Well, over the next three years, Jesus begins to describe something different than what they think. He begins to describe a different type of kingdom, and he takes them that Friday to a garden. And here in this garden, he describes what's going to happen that night, that he's going to suffer. Now, here in what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane, but the Bible never calls it the Garden of Gethsemane. It mentions the garden, and another account mentions the Gethsemane. But why does Jesus bring his disciples here on this night? A Gethsemane is an olive press. Two words, Gethsemane. It's a place where things are crushed. Right at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, even today, under that garden is a cave where they keep a Gethsemane. A Gethsemane is kept there as like a big, long telephone pole with giant boulders to weight it down to crush the olives taken from the Mount of Olives, put in that black basket, stacked on top of one another. And when the weight is compressed upon it, it squeezes out the virgin oil. Jesus says, this is a night of crushing. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. And what's inside of us is going to come out. When Jesus is crushed on that cross, what comes out of him is love and forgiveness for his enemies. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's here in this garden that he's betrayed and soldiers will take him that night to Caiaphas' house. And as he's taken from the garden that day, it says that Jesus follows Jesus is taken by the soldiers, and Peter follows at a distance. You see, when God doesn't seem to be operating according to plan, he's not doing what God is supposed to do. You may not get angry at God because you don't want God angry at you, but you do distance yourself from God. I know I do. You lower your expectations of what God does and doesn't do, whether he really gets involved in the world, whether he prays, whether he answers prayer. Peter's following at a distance, close enough to see and hear what's going on on their way to Caiaphas' house, but not so much that he gets into too much trouble. When he arrives at Caiaphas' house, again, archaeologists have found what they believe to be Caiaphas' home. There's a museum set up today, you can go visit it. And it is a home of power. That Jesus was taken that night to Caiaphas' home, a place of mosaics, a place of power, a place of of great influence. And the the court is already there at 3 a.m. to judge him. What a shady court. It's a kangaroo court. In fact, it was considered illegal to have a court case at night with no witnesses. Jesus is held in this house, in this room. But just outside that house is a courtyard where Peter was waiting and listening. He could even peer in a few times and see Jesus. Somebody in the courtyard says, hey, hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, 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 no. Somebody recognizes his accent. Yeah, I recognize you're a Galilean. You were Jesus. No, I've never heard of the man. Then a little girl says, yeah, I saw you with Jesus. And in the Greek, he curses. He literally says, I'll be damned if I know Jesus. At that moment, outside in the courtyard, there's a view that from that area, you can see a corner where they would have held Jesus. With one glance, Jesus looked at him and Jesus began to weep. Peter began to weep because he had denied him just as he predicted Some think this is a look of of disappointment. I think it was a look of him saying, listen, God's still in control. This is still part of the plan. Remember, I told you that this would happen. See, Friday's a time of crushing. 
And we wish we could rush to Sunday where everything gets fixed. But often before you get to Sunday, you've got to get to Saturday. Saturday is that time between what's happening and what you want to happen. When Jesus is crucified and his body is now placed in a tomb, a friend of mine calls these moments the meantime. And he says the meantime can be a very mean time. See, it was preparation day. On preparation day, they came and they saw Jesus' body was laid in a tomb. And it says they observed the tomb. Saturdays don't always last for just 24 hours. Sometimes there's a Saturday experience in your marriage that lasts for months. Or in your career, or between you and a son or daughter. And you just find yourself staring at a tomb. Sometimes it's a literal tomb. I can't believe God let someone pass away. Sometimes it's a metaphorical tomb as you stare at shattered dreams, broken relationships. And you're just staring at a tomb. You wonder if God can be trusted You wonder if there's ever going to be a new day in your marriage or a new time for that relationship or you're ever going to re-kickstart. So you get cynical. You're grieving. But under that cynicism and grief is still a longing, right? You don't want this to go on forever. You're longing even under that cynicism that there would be a new day that there could be hope again. There could be new life again. There could be a new beginning to this. You're wishing God could whisper from the heavens for you. Three. Two. One. Sunday is on the way. And that's what happened in that actual day in history when all the disciples thought it was all lost. Sunday was on the way. And that morning, the light came up over the dawn and and Jesus came out of the grave. The, the stone was rolled back and everything changed. Peter came to the tomb, found it empty. Jesus comes to Peter later on and appears to him in his resurrected body. And did you know that was not enough for Peter? It will take three resurrection appearances of Jesus before he believes it's part of God's plan, before he thinks he can be forgiven and restored. In John 21, we find Peter saying, I was a failure as a follower of God. I guess I'll go back to fishing. He goes out early one morning in his fishing boat before the sun even comes up, and he's fishing. And he looks across the Sea of Galilee, and he sees the sunrise beginning to come up over the Sea of Galilee. And he notices the silhouettes that he's seen before of his friend Jesus, who'd called him in the same spot three years earlier. And he realizes it's Jesus. And here the power of resurrection is is true for each one of us here this Easter. Because number one, resurrection is very, very personal. Do you remember what happened when the angels met up with those women at the tomb? They said, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's raised. They mentioned Peter by name. Because resurrection is very personal. It's not just for everyone generically. It's for you personally. How cool is that, that the angels in heaven know you by name? I want you to know I want to be your comfort. I want you to know I have a plan. I want you to know that I want to work in your life, in your Fridays, in your Saturdays. 
Resurrection is more than that. It's not just personal. It's a reminder of what are God's prized possessions. You ever had that old analogy, like what do you do if your house is on fire? You grab what's most valuable to you. Well, Jesus is out of the tomb, and before he heads to heaven, what's he doing? He's going to go gather his prized possessions, which is what? People. He's come that day to the Sea of Galilee to gather Peter, his prized possession. And Peter recognized this isn't just his friend. It's just not a good moral teacher. This is the Lord. This is God. He brought himself back from the grave after predicting it. What would he want from me? Is he going to wag his finger and condemn me for for denying him, not keeping my promises? What would God want from me? You know what he wants? Breakfast. He's making him breakfast. Peter, come here. Come here, come here, come here. Hey, hey. Tell me. I tried to tell you for three years, but you just couldn't hear it. You had too many blind spots. Now tell me. Tell me what's going on. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Let me tell you why this is part of God's plan. Let me tell you why, of course, you can be forgiven and of course you can be restored. Let's spend some breakfast together. You're one of my prized possessions. Before I go to heaven, I want to make sure you know that you and I are right with each other. But thirdly, resurrection is a promise. It's a promise to everyone in history. Because it says that after he came to get breakfast, you know what it says? It says, they had eaten breakfast. See, this is the third time Jesus appeared in his resurrection body and they ate breakfast. Now, don't miss that. That means Jesus is eating breakfast. Jesus is eating honeycomb. Jesus is eating fish that day. See, the story of Easter is not the story of Jesus got carried on. No. It's not Jesus' energies turned into a sort of Casper the Friendly Ghost that floated around. No. It's not Jesus' energy turned into a little bird here and a little bird there and a tree there. No. It's Jesus came back as Jesus in an actual body who could eat, who could touch, who could hug. That is a promise for all of us. That if you've lost someone this year, this month, this decade, the promise of resurrection is that God will do unto them what he did unto himself. When they die, we put their body in a a casket because they're going to get a brand new body. But far better, oh, far better. You're going to see grandma again, or your son again, or your friend again. Because Jesus will do unto those who hook their wagon to him what he did to himself, a new body that can eat again. You ever, you ever been with someone in hospice and they can't even eat anymore and they love to eat? The promise of resurrection is a new body they will eat again. You ever had your mom not recognize you because of Alzheimer's? The promise of resurrection is a brand new mind. No more depression. No more mental illness. No more Alzheimer's, no more pain, and no more agony is the resurrection. Everything is renewed in Christ. More than that, that if, gee, if God could take an old rugged cross and use it to turn the Roman Empire upside down, how much could he use your circumstances, your crushing Fridays, your lonely Saturdays, and say, but oh, I got a plan. You just hold on. Or my grandfather's funeral. My grandpa was a marine, electrical engineer, retired from that, started his own brokerage firm and real estate company. My dad walked up to my grandpa's funeral and said, this is my dad, Bob, and he loved Jesus. And we're putting his body in this box because he's getting a brand new body from Jesus. And I'm going to see my dad again. And I'm going to see my grandpa again. And my grandpa had always been a builder, and so my dad grabbed a hammer. And he walked up to that casket he said, the promise of the new body is we're not sitting around in heaven strumming harps. That sounds like a drag. I don't think I go for the last for five minutes doing that. 
Heaven is a place of imagination and joy and talents and experiencing the best of God's wonder. And he took that hammer, that craftsman hammer, and set it in that, in that, into the chest of my grandfather. He held on to it and he said, my dad's going to be building because God made him to build. About nine months ago, I had a couple in the church going through a tough time in their marriage. And here's the phrase they use. He said, Chad, our marriage needs a resurrection. Counseling's not wrong, but we don't need just counseling. We don't just need more chances. We need a resurrection of life. I circled back about a month ago. I said, have you been praying for that resurrection? He says, we have. And God is breathing patience where we didn't have patience for each other. God's breathing love where we thought love had died. Our marriage is in such a different place because his power is flowing through it. May this be your Easter, that that actual day in history transforms you, that you take your Sunday into Monday, and you see that when things are darkest, there is still hope. God can bring life into anything. And when you are lost, when you think hope is lost, you can reach out and hold him. And know that God will make a way because he made a way 2,000 years ago. Maybe you want that kind of freedom. Maybe this can be the day for you. Why don't you stand and join me? Let me pray over us that freedom. And then we'll sing about it. Father, thank you. That you want to be the comfort for those who are going through grief. You want to be the freedom for those who have been entrapped by their own appetites. God, you want to be the hope and love because you came and you defanged death. You defeated it when all was lost. For every heart that's longing for freedom today, we ask your spirit comes into those hearts right here and right now. And we sing of the victory that you had when you raised your son from the dead to give us hope and life. Amen.